You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. I'm really excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, I'm looking forward to this passage. It has a lot to do with what Nancy mentioned in her testimony, a broken world and the things we we can live through. Um, When I was, uh, my name is Gabe, Gabe Myers. For anyone who doesn't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Community. And um, usually, um, well, I'm I'm the pastor of the Hispanic ministry. So normally if you, you would see me in the uh, fourth service, which is at two this afternoon, but it's in Spanish. So if you would like to join us, you are more than welcome to. Uh, today is a potluck. I don't know if I should announce that for so many. <laughs> um, but when I was about 10 years old, I was a missionary kid, so I grew up in a country called Paraguay. And uh, growing up, we didn't have a garbage truck. Um, so we didn't have a garbage truck uh, to come around the, to come and pick up the trash. So um, what we would do is my dad would have us dig this hole. Uh, so even when I was a child, I remember seeing this hole, and we'd fill it up. And after it was you know partially full, we'd burn it, and then you know it'd go down, and you'd stack it again, and you'd burn it again. And basically, in about two years, it would get filled up, and you'd throw dirt on top of it, and it was like it was never there. Um, but one of my jobs when I was about 10, 11 years old was to dig this hole. So I remember uh, dad gave me the shovel. He told me where he wanted it. So I, I you know, it took, it was like an all day project for me. I, I started digging and it's kind of fun, you know, dig a hole. The boy loves doing that kind of thing. Uh, so I, I dig this hole. It's about five feet wide, maybe five and a half feet deep. Uh, and I was short. Uh, so maybe you see where this is going. But in the... In the end, I throw my shovel out, you know, and, and it's the end of the day. I throw my shovel out, and, and I'm stuck. I'm stuck in this hole. Um, so I cried for help, and I think my brother came, but I'll tell you the rest of the story later. Uh, in the meantime, let's go to the next. Um, so Nancy's story reminds, reminds me that we live in a broken world. Uh, last Wednesday, I was in a meeting of about 20 people where we had prayer requests related to cancer, tumors, heart surgeries, a man in a coma, drug addictions, marriage issues, an incapacitating injury. That was just last Wednesday. Those are some of the prayer requests. When we get down to deep issues of life, things can get very messy. We find ourselves kind of stuck. Jesus was born into this kind of a world as we've seen through the gospel of Luke so far. A world where mankind dug himself into a hole and he had no way out. Today we're going to take a look at some stories about people that are stuck in different types of life situations. But before we go there, let's go back and and just review some of the previous messages. If you have an outline today, um, I normally don't 
preach using an outline and put the bullets up there and the fill in the blanks. Uh, so I really tried to do this this morning, but th through the first message, they were up there and it was just kind of throwing me off. So I decided we're gonna take out the outline, but if you wanna fill in the blanks as you go, just pay attention, you know, hopefully you'll get it. By the way, and you already know this, the answers are on the back, so <laughs> yeah. Um, but, well, but you know, just it won't be up here, so. Um, last week, Jay took us through the baptism and temptation of Jesus. This amazing scene, could you imagine having been there? You know, Jesus is in the water with John, and it says Jesus was praying. And he's out there in the water, he's praying, and the heavens opened. Could you, could you imagine that? Heaven just opens up. And the Holy Spirit comes down in visible form, like this dove just comes fluttering down, lands on Jesus, and is there, is with him. Then the Father's voice is heard, a voice of affirmation which says, this is my son whom I love. This is Jesus, my son. I mean, it'd be one thing to have some great king like David who could have said this, and maybe in heaven he was like, yeah, mine too. Yeah, but saying, this is my son, but this is God the Father speaking, and he's saying, this is my son. This Jesus is the heir. He's the, the heir of David's throne. He's being anointed. Well, prophets would anoint their, the, the kings with oil, but here the Father is anointing Jesus with his own spirit, and Jesus is the heir of heaven. If God is the king, the son was being declared royalty. He had the authority of heaven itself upon him. So then the story tells us that Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes Jesus and leads him to the wilderness. Matthew actually tells us he leads him to be tempted. The Spirit takes him to be tempted. And Jesus faced, faces the test as a man. In Hebrews, it tells us that we have this priest that we'd be so grateful we have this priest who was not like other priests but he was tempted like us he was tempted as a man and so Jesus went through the wilderness temptation as a man and it says he was hungry um, would and, and Satan comes and he offers him no why don't you go ahead and work outside of the man but uh, Jesus passes the test and then he takes him and he shows him, you know, the, the, the world's cities and the governments. And he says, I'm, I'll offer you a shortcut. You came to be the Messiah, the king, you know, the Messiah is supposed to sit on the throne. Let's take a shortcut. All you have to do, you don't have to go through the plan. Just, just bow a knee, worship me, and it's yours. And Jesus, a man with ambition, doesn't take Satan's ambition and he passes that test as a man. So we're gonna look today at two different stories, um, two different towns. Jesus is gonna visit his hometown, Nazareth, and he's gonna also visit this town called Capernaum. And both 
of these places are going to have two different responses uh, towards him. And so here's Jesus. And the first thing it says in Luke chapter 4, 14 through 44, is that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This thread of the Spirit's working on Jesus, it's there. It's still there. And the first thing it says is he's, he's, he's in the power of the Spirit. And in the power of the Spirit, he, um, there's the news about Jesus spreads throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. That's what Jesus was doing. Could you imagine what that could have been like? You know, going from one town to another and, and news, Jesus is starting to build this, this fame. People are talking about Jesus. I wonder sometimes what, what it would have been like to have Jesus, um, to grow up with Jesus, maybe in Nazareth, or maybe let's take Jesus and put him in my hometown where I was growing up and in that setting. Well, um, as you know, in Paraguay, I remember I went to this national public school, and you know everybody, all my classmates knew I was I was an, a missionary kid, so they knew I I, I was I, usually I was a good kid, but I had my moments, and uh, I remember one day we were behind the the school building, and I remember these guys, you know, they all I can remember all their faces, and and we're all just talking, and there were things conversations they would have that I wouldn't join in on just because I didn't feel like that's what God would want me to do, so I'm just going to step out of that one, maybe not say anything, you know, but um, sometimes there were things they would do, and I would walk away, but there was this one instance where we had a power, power lines going right by the building, and of course, it probably had shoes hanging on it, but um, they had found this wire. It was probably you know, off of a fence somewhere. It was probably six feet long, maybe longer, and uh, we had tied rocks on each end of this wire, and the dare was, who was going to throw it and wrap it around the power lines? And, uh, you know, would Myers do it? And I thought, well, what could happen? <laughs> I, so I was curious. And I thought, I can't, you know, it can't be that big, but I'm sure it'll be exciting. So it was recess. It was almost over. Start, kids started moving in, so I take this wire and I throw it up, and on the first shot, the thing goes and it wraps itself around all three of the wires. There were only three. This one has four. It wrapped itself around, around all three. And all the wires started moving up and down together, and sparks started flying. And you heard this loud, you know, like, like the trumpet sound, and something went boom, and uh, everybody was gone. So in the school, there used to be uh, the book that only those really, really, really bad kids signed. And I was, you know, I was kind of proud I'd never signed it up until this point. <laughs> and if you signed it, you know, twice, and you were really bad, signed it three times, you, were gone. you don't have to get to sign it, you just get to leave. Um, so I remember standing there in the principal's office, and she looked at me and said, Myers? Oh, it was so embarrassing. You know, just, that was dumb. But if Jesus would have been there, and I had, you know, he was one of those friends, maybe he would have been, maybe he would have been that kid who said, Gabe, that, that's just not a good idea. Hmm. 
I don't know, it's kind of fun to think about stuff like that. Um, we know that as an adult, Jesus was someone who normally had you know, people who were outcasts, people who wouldn't fit in your social circles necessarily. They felt comfortable around him. He was easy to be around. I always wonder about that. This guy who is holy, perfect, sinless, and yet people who are broken feel welcome to be close to him. Guys like Peter. I, um, so here's Jesus. He's about to go back to his hometown. And it says he went to Nazareth, Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So here's Jesus. He's in his home setting. Probably the same friends he went to school with or played with are in this room. At least some of them would be in there. And he does what is his custom. He, he, he normally went, obviously in the other cities, he had been preaching and teaching in, in synagogues as well, but he probably spent a lot of time here growing up. And uh, as, he, as he goes to this place, they give him the, the scroll of Isaiah, and he finds this place. He chooses a place to read. And this is the place he chooses. And as we read this, would you think about, imagine Jesus reading this in a self-descriptive kind of way. Because that's what he's doing. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And again, the first thing he reads is the spirit of the Lord is on me. This thread doesn't stop, does it? He seems to depend or trust. There's this, there's this power that, he, that he's tapping into, but the spirit of the Lord is on me. Why was the spirit of God on Jesus? And in this passage, it clearly says, you know, it's a passage that was, he chooses this passage um, it's, it's from Isaiah, but it's about the Messiah. It's referring to the, the Savior, the Messiah of Israel. And as he reads it, he's reading it in a self-descriptive kind of way. But he talks, this passage mentions different people that this message is going to. And the first group of people is, the good, it's good news to the poor. Back then, poor didn't just refer to those who didn't have money or were economically poor. The poor were also those who were of low status in society. So people who couldn't have kids, those who had children out of wedlock, maybe like Joseph and Mary, or like no kids, Zechariah and Elizabeth before they had John, people who were handicapped, or people who had some kind of disease like uh, paralysis, blindness, people who were rejected for their lifestyle like tax collectors. Those were people who were considered poor. 
Is that the only definition? Jesus in, in Revelation talks about poor. There are people who thought they were rich and maybe people sitting there in Nazareth, but this message is to a church and the church says this, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. How similar those lists are. But there's this group of people who thinks, they think they have everything. They don't need God. And they don't need a relationship with him. They think they have everything. And, and Jesus is saying, you don't realize. You're wretched, pitiful. You're, you're poor. And so this is the first group of people. And the second group of people that he talks to is, is those who are prisoners. Proclaim freedom for the prisoners or to those who are oppressed. Um, and it makes me wonder, what is... What is it, the thing that binds us? One of the things that binds us is Jesus said this, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Anyone who sins, a sin is a lie. A sin is to have an evil thought. A sin is to just call someone a fool. And Jesus says anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now there are truly there are, there are real physical problems. The Israelites were feeling oppressed by Rome, not to minimize that problem, but the Israelites had been under oppression by Babylon and, and so on, even to, to Rome. Why? Because they had rejected God. They sinned against God. So, so that's the reason, that was their oppression. Here Jesus is talking to them. And who are, who are the blind Jesus talking to, in talking to his disciples, yeah, there, there were those who were physically blind and Jesus would heal them, would give them sight. But to his disciples, he said, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Including Isaiah, Isaiah was one of these prophets who wrote about the coming Messiah. He didn't get to see the coming Messiah. But he's saying, you know, there are people who have eyes, like those in Nazareth, and are they going to see what's right in front of them like the disciples would see? And the last, the last thing Jesus says is, um, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That comes straight out of, out of Israelite context. In Israel, there was a year of jubilee, a year when, when all the slaves received their freedom. And so Jesus is saying, I'm coming to proclaim freedom to those who are slaves. The question I have about the eyes of Nazareth is, Will they see Jesus? What are they gonna do with them? So it's interesting, Jesus goes on, he finishes reading that passage and after he's done reading, the eyes of every, I mean, there wasn't the guy who was over there, you know, doing something in the corner. Everybody's intent. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. They're waiting for what he's going to say next. 
Did he really just read that? Was that self-description I heard in that, in his tone? And Jesus, this is the next thing he says. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's very bold. That's very bold. Um, and, and that's not all he says because it says all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. I don't know what else he said, but he kept saying, he kept talking, he kept teaching. And as he's teaching, that one little phrase, this is fulfilled. And what he just, people are thinking about this and, and they, they're thinking about his words, but they're also thinking about one other piece, this piece. Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't he so, isn't he just us? He's, he's like one of us. How is this possible that he is the Messiah when he's one of us? We grew up, he's just Joseph's son. And so they begin reasoning in their head and from what might have been belief goes into rejection. And Jesus knows this is happening. So Jesus knows what they're thinking and he responds, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Man, you think you're a doctor? Heal yourself. You've got your own problems. So you do here in, in, do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. You know, we've heard you did all this great stuff. Let's, let's see you prove it. But their mind is already going down this path of rejection. So Jesus answers them and he says, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And he's gonna kind of open this up to them and he's gonna warn them, look, look at your ancestors. If you go back in history and you look at this, Israel, uh, you had a couple of prophets that came to Israel, Elijah, and, and the other one was Elisha. Elijah came, he preached repentance to Israel because Israel had rejected God. They were worshiping Baal. So he said, you know, you, you need to repent. They wouldn't, they wouldn't listen to him. So he said, okay, it's not gonna rain until you do. So he went away for three years and he went to another land, a land where the, this widow was at. He ended up resurrecting her son from the dead. That didn't happen in Israel. And then there's Elisha the prophet who came after Elijah. And there were many lepers in Israel back in his day. Did they get healed? No. But a man from a foreign land came all the way to Israel. And if you read the story, you'll find that guy doesn't have very much faith. But he's healed because he does show faith. He believes, and, and he's saying, you know, that was Israel, and Nazareth, you're doing exactly what Israel always does. Rejects the prophets, and now you're about to reject something even greater, the Messiah himself. I can't imagine how hurtful this was to Jesus to be in his hometown with people he really cared about, and they don't believe and they reject Jesus. But then let's take a look at a different response. Ah, by the way, here's what Nazareth does. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And what did they do? They got up, drove him out, and basically tried to kill him, tried to throw him off a cliff. A different, different response to Jesus is found in this town, in Capernaum. So, 
he goes to this town and it says, um, it's a town in Galilee and on the Sabbath, he taught the people. And here's the, the beginning of the response. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. We don't even see any miracles done yet, but just in his teaching, there's power, there's authority. And that's, that's very, very interesting. It begins, it begins there, but then you're gonna see power in other areas as well. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He's hanging out in the synagogue. That's like, you know, coming to church and being demon-possessed. Well, that really is what, what this is. And so this man is in there, and the man cries out, the demons cry out through the man, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So here are the demons, they recognize Jesus. Not only do they recognize him, but they're afraid of him. They're afraid of Jesus. Have you, have you come to destroy us? You know what's also interesting? Is they could have said Jesus of Bethlehem or you know, Jesus of heaven. But he had just come from Nazareth, the place where he was rejected. And they're saying, no, Jesus of Nazareth. I wonder if that was, you know, some kind of a jab. But here they are, the demons recognize Jesus. Um, later on in verse 41, it's gonna say that demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. And when you read the story, um, Jesus just says, be quiet to the first, the first demon. And, and what happens, the demon, uh, and he says, come out of him. There's no big spectacle. There's no repetition and a lot of yelling. Jesus just tells him to do something. And immediately the demon throws the man on the ground. But uh, Luke who is the doctor, is very good at pointing out. It throws him on the ground, but without injuring him. Very interesting. So all the people are amazed. The people are amazed at Jesus' authority. He has authority in just his words, but he has authority over the spirit world. He has authority over the demons. And it doesn't stop there. It says, Jesus goes on to, to the home of Simon. Simon is from Capernaum. This is Peter. And, and Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. So Jesus bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. Hmm. So the result of that is, he doesn't just have authority over spirits. He has authority over disease. And so the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Wow, the power of Jesus. So the response can, in contrast to Nazareth, I love this response. What do they do? The people were looking, Jesus went off to a solitary place, he's trying to be alone, you know, morning comes and the people were looking for him. When they came to where he was, they tried to, uh, they found him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving him. And Jesus said, you know, I, I'm sorry. 
I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well because that is why I was sent. But I love this. First, they looked for Jesus. Second, they found him. And finally, they tried to keep Jesus from leaving them. That's pretty amazing. Has nothing to do with trying to throw him over the hill. So my question as, as I read these stories, I wonder, what about us? How, how, do, how do we respond to Jesus? I'd like to invite us to pray. Dear Father, thank you for sending your spirit here today. Please teach us. Teach us what it means to know your power Teach us what it means to be poor, captive, blind, and oppressed. Teach us your truth about Jesus today. So earlier I told you that um, last week I met with 20 people and listened to their prayer requests. We had been praying for a lot of these requests since, since, uh, since fall. Now coming back after the break, they were sharing the prayer requests and I'd like to read these prayer requests. One lady's name is Gray. If you're here Wednesday night for Journey, you can come talk to these people. Um, we'd love, you wanna barge in and just have a conversation? Have at it. Um, but we'd been praying for Gray's dad who was being treated for cancer, but he stopped the treatment because it was too hard on him. On the 23rd of December, he had studies done to check the progress of the cancer. They showed no, no trace of cancer. Fermin Sr., he's also there. Last year, his brother, who lives in Tijuana, was diagnosed with cancer, which had extended to his lungs and possibly his liver. They gave him eight months to live, and somehow those studies were lost. So they had the studies redone. He was feeling better. Uh, they came out clean, except for something in his bones and in his feet. Throughout this process, he came to know Jesus. Now with treatment, he will probably be rehabilitated this year. On December 1st, Martha, one of the ladies there, sent a voice message to the Comunidad Women's Ministry leaders her brother Alejandro was also fighting cancer. Over Christmas, he fell into a coma. And the doctors told him that he had a 5% chance of coming out of it. New Year's Day, he had come out of it. And when lots of people were going to the big party, this was in, in Sinaloa, Mexico, when a lot of people were going to do the big New Year's party, uh, Martha and her family were singing songs and praying in gratitude. Through this process, um, Alejandro says that Martha was praying and she prayed, God, please give him one more chance. One more chance. I'm not sure he knew Christ. But while he was in, in that coma, he says he had a dream where he had prayed, God, give me another chance, and he saw a hand. So he reached for the hand and he came out of it. Um, Olga's sister, who just lives right like four or five blocks from here, 
Olga does, but she, her sister, uh, before Christmas, we'd been praying for her because she was tested with three tumors. They didn't know if they were cancerous or not, so find out that they're not. It's interesting, these are all kind of related to cancer, but we had many other prayer requests, and there are some very hard ones that haven't been answered. I'm not saying when you pray, everything gets answered. What I'm saying is, are we praying? Are we praying that God would work? That he would use whatever means? If it's just to heal, flat out, no intervention, okay. But if it's to use the hands of doctors, yeah, pray for our doctors. Um, there are other prayer requests related to alcoholism, addiction, children, Anyway, it's hard, and those haven't been answered, and we're praying for them. Do we recognize the need we need for freedom? Are you free? There's physical bondage. Do you know someone who's suffering from some, some kind of sickness or handicap or disease? Do you know someone who's suffering, through, uh, suffering from alcoholism or drug addiction? Or someone who's going through depression. Maybe you are going through depression or, or you know someone who is. Do you know of someone going through relational problems? Maybe, maybe someone's going through a divorce. Maybe someone's lost a loved one and going through grief. If I asked, how many, raise your hand if any of these connect. I'm assuming most of you actually do. Raise your hand if someone, if someone are connecting with this. Yeah. We don't have to look very far for brokenness. A few weeks ago, Sean said, we just have to look in the mirror. Personally, I received Jesus in my life at a young age. And um, through college, I began to doubt. I began to wonder, you know, maybe my parents, you know, they're honest people, but what if they're just honestly wrong about God? What if all of this is wrong? So I went to a Bible college. I still, wanted, I still wanted to do this, but I wasn't sure. I wanted to check, is this real? And I would sit in class and question my professors, not necessarily out, out, out loud, but I began to doubt, and I started marking my Bible with questions, looking for errors and mistakes and flaws in this faith. And as I began to have these doubts and disbelief, I also began to wonder, well, what about my, I mean, if this is off, then what about morality? What about my choices? What does it matter? If, if all this is wrong, what, what does it matter what I do? And I met this girl and we got into a relationship. We became good friends at first, but then over time, our relationship became more than just about the friendship. It was just about physical intimacy. And it, it was broken. And I started living in guilt. And this guilt wouldn't leave. And so there's that kind of brokenness where when you reject God, joy gets sucked out and you live in guilt. What will you do with Christ? Will you drive him out or will you keep him close? What will, you, will you act like Nazareth or will you act like Capernaum? What are you gonna do with Jesus? And how do we live in the power of the Holy Spirit? How do, how do we live like Jesus did? I'd like to invite you to first talk to him 
pray, tell him, dear Jesus, teach me to live. I want to know your word. I want your word to be the authority in my life. I want to know your thoughts, your ways, your desires. And I want to be aware of the contrast between what you offer me and what this world is presenting me in contrast with what I might already be living in right now. Then read his word. Don't just, just read it for reading's sake, but read it and make a conscious choice to follow it. A few weeks ago, Gary showed us this picture. A man making a choice. Doesn't seem so bad, but in his mind, He's sinning. He is offending God. He's being unfaithful. This guy could be a believer. He could be someone who knows Jesus. He could be someone who knows the word but is not choosing to act on the word. He's not choosing. This isn't the right thing. God's word says she's my sister. God says flee from sexual immorality. Here I'm entertaining it. What do we do with Christ? And I'd like to invite you to know this. If you know Jesus, if you don't know him, please come to Jesus today. Talk to him. Invite him. I want you. I want you in my life. Just talk to him and just say it. And, and if you already know Jesus, know that you're his anointed child. God's very spirit, the one that was poured on Jesus, is poured on you. And you're sealed. The same power that Jesus have, has, you have. And this, I love grace because grace is a place where people care about physical needs, emotional needs, and spiritual needs. I know a counselor who, who says, you know, grace pursues emotional healing, and I haven't seen a church in Portland that does this. We pursue helping people walk through this, people with depression, relational brokenness, addiction recovery. I love being a part of this. On a weekly basis, the care team is involved in many cases where they wisely and generously give to help people's needs. You are the care team. That's what you do. You're doing exactly what Jesus says. Setting people free. I want to invite you to do one more thing. Maybe there's someone sick and maybe they're sick because we just honestly haven't prayed. I love these posts on Facebook, all praying for you, whatever. Good thoughts about you. Okay. Okay. Are you really praying? Do you really pray for people? I'd like to invite you now to, maybe I should finish that story, but real quick, in this story, I was stuck. I called my brother who was four years younger than I was. He came over, he tried to help me. I don't remember very well, but we may have both gotten stuck in the hole. And uh, I finally was able to get him back out and, and he went and called dad. If we're stuck, it's important to call for help. And our help is basically, let's talk to God. And I'd like to invite you right now to take, take Take a couple of minutes. If you know someone that you need to pray for, someone who's sick, depressed, or just going through something, maybe, and, and over everything, all that's important. But pray that they would get to know Jesus and know him more. Would you pray as we transition into this song that talks about bringing hope to the hopeless? This is Jesus. This is our Jesus. 
please pray. Go ahead, do it right now. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.